Okay, we're going to, uh, in this morning, part four of Beauty for Ashes, we're going to have an encounter. We're going to consider, not we're going to have an encounter, but we're going to consider an an encounter that Jesus had uh, in the Gospels, uh, in the Gospel of Luke. And we'll be looking at that in just a couple of minutes. If you want to follow along with me, uh, I'll be reading from uh, Luke chapter seven in a few minutes. But but one of the things I love, I absolutely love about the Gospels is all of the one-on-one encounters Jesus had with different individuals. And uh, it, it, it reveals not only a lot about us, a lot about human nature, but it more importantly displays the divine nature and the character and the mission of the Son of God. And so we're going to see that unfold uh, before us this morning as we uh, get into this message. Over the last number of weeks, what we've been doing is we've been looking at what happens in a life when they burn and have a burn crash experience and the ashes are the result of that uh, and how, how God is able to transform uh, those ashes into beauty. In week one, we looked at Peter's uh, failure and how that Jesus sustained him by saying, Peter, I've prayed for you. Satan desires to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And, and Peter not only did not ultimately fall away from the Lord, but uh, he became a source of strength and encouragement that out of the ashes of his experience uh, arose an apostle who was able to, to preach on the day of Pentecost in 3,000 came into the kingdom of God, and so many other things were were accomplished through Peter's ministry. In part two, we discovered that in spite of the tremendous suffering on the part of Job, that the overwhelming love of God for Job brought him out of his ash experience and, and was able to, by his overwhelming love, show that ultimately one day God is going to swallow up all suffering. And if you remember, I used an illustration. I held up a piece of paper with a tiny little dot on it. And I said, basically this, I said, I said what do you see? And, and, and no, you, you couldn't see the little dot. And I said, that little dot represents not only your life and my life, but all of human history, all of the thousands of years of human history. What is that compared to the ocean of eternity? And the Bible teaches us that, that these light afflictions that we're suffering now are not worthy in comparison with the glory that is going to be revealed in us someday, that it's all going to be worth it in the end. In part three, we discovered last week that the, that the grace of God is greater than sin and that good is more powerful than evil, even in the life of a monster like King Manasseh, God was able to transform his life and bring him out of his ash, burn and and crash experience and bring him uh, into a place of restoration to show us the nature of our God. In this week's message, I'm going to be looking more at the beauty end of it rather than the ash part of it, although that's not going to be apparent at first. But Luke, the apostle, the beloved physician would love for us to be amazed by, by the life that's been transformed by the grace of God from a life that we can obviously, you know, perceive to be sorrowful and, and painful uh, into a life that is, that is beautiful and full of grace. Uh, you've heard of the expression, actions speak louder than words, right? I've been a long time since I've heard that, but it's true. Actions do speak louder than words. And this 
is such a, a case where, where the actions of one of the characters who doesn't utter one single word, but she's one of the main characters in this story. She doesn't, she doesn't say one single word, but, but her actions speak louder than words. We don't know much about her past, you know, but we can make some assumptions. And the assumptions that we could make, like I said a moment ago, is that she's had a painful life, a difficult life, a sorrowful life. But the emphasis is not on her past, but the emphasis is on her present and therefore has a profound effect upon her future. If you're here this morning, I just want to say this. If, if you're maybe troubled by your own past experience, maybe you're experiences in the past can be described as a crash and burn experience. I want you to know that your past doesn't define you. It doesn't have to define you. That what you do right now in the present moment, what you do right now has a profound effect upon your future. I love the verse in Jeremiah 29 and 11. This is the Lord's heart. He says, I know the thoughts that I have toward you, says the Lord. They're thoughts of peace, not of evil. Thoughts to give you a hope and to give you a future. God's heart is not to crush us, but to heal us. God's heart is not to condemn us, but to forgive us. And we're going to see that in this great chapter of Luke chapter 7. I'm going to, I'm going to read a verse or two, and then I'm going to do a little explanation, do a little exposition, uh, give you a little cultural background. And then before I get into the bulk of, of the story, so I'm just kind of going to go through this so just to let you know where we're going, okay? So if I stop after the first verse that I read, don't, don't be alarmed, okay? We're just going to break it down a little bit. So Luke chapter 7, you can follow along on the screen, beginning in verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Okay, so first point. Uh, amazingly, Jesus receives an invitation. I don't know which is more amazing, that Jesus got an invitation or that Jesus went to the home of a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the ones who were constantly grieving Jesus, constantly getting in his face, constantly uh, re rebuffing his teachings. And so, so for Jesus to accept and to receive uh, an invitation is it, kind, of, kind of amazing, you know? Uh, but these are the very people for whom Jesus came to seek and to save. Uh, in fact, there, there are none more lost in some sense than those who are self-righteous. And the Pharisees were filled with self-righteousness. They were reclining at the table. This is not a, a sit at the table with your feet underneath the table, you know, and sitting on a chair, you know. Uh, the Middle Eastern culture was to lay down, maybe pillows propping you up, laying uh, with your uh, elbow and arm, uh, supporting your body as your feet are behind you, laying down, and then eating with your free hand, you know. Uh, some years ago, I, I was in Romania, and uh, on a missions trip. And one of the things that really uh, kind of uh, amused me and surprised me was how low the furniture was built to the ground. I said, my first thought was, man, there must be a lot of short people in this country. But, but, but really, to, to get into bed and to almost get out of bed, you almost had to kneel down to get in and to get out of bed because it was so low to the ground. And my, my point is simply this, that other cultures and in other other places, they do life differently from us. 
you know? And back in the Middle Eastern culture, that, that, this was the way they did life. This was the way they, they enjoyed their, their meals. Uh, the scripture says in verse 37, when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, okay? Uh, some speculate that this woman was Mary Magdalene, you know, which is highly unlikely since Luke is going to mention Mary by name in the next chapter. It's not her. Uh, neither is she to be confused with, uh, with Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany is, uh, is, is the, the sister of Martha and the uh, sister of Lazarus, who... Uh, ministered and anointed the Lord with, with anointing uh, about a week before his crucifixion. So this is not Mary of Bethany. This is not Mary. Luke simply identifies her as a woman of the city whose reputation would have been common knowledge. Everyone would have known about this woman, what she did for a living. She, she, was, she was probably in all likelihood a prostitute. But just as Rahab, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, it says that just as Rahab the harlot by faith, so likewise this woman is saved by grace through faith because her actions, as we're about to see, speak louder than words. These are the actions of one who believes. The dinner was in all likelihood being held uh, in the courtyard of the home of the Pharisee. Uh, when a notable teacher or rabbi was invited to a home, uh, people who were interested in that rabbi could, could go into the public space area in the courtyard there and kind of, you know, observe and listen to what's going on. And, and so there would be many people back there, and, and she wouldn't have been noticed until the teardrops began to fall like rain and they began to fall down upon the feet of, of Jesus. Uh, she had come with an agenda when she heard. This is not a, a chance happening. This is not a, oh, by the way, she had heard that Jesus was there invited to this celebration. And so she came purposely. She came with a gift, but she didn't come knowing that she was going to weep over his feet. And this is what Luke tells us about. And I tell you, it's one of the most compelling portions of Scripture Luke says this in verse 38, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. That would have been the first moment that Jesus would have realized that there was somebody behind him and that there was somebody who was weeping. She probably shed quite a few tears. Remember, this is spontaneous. She's standing behind him. The tears must have been many and then she does something. She, 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 she begins to kneel by his feet. And she notices that his feet have been neglected. Now, you would have noticed that because if your feet were dusty and you sprinkled some water on it, some drops fell upon those feet. Imagine the streaks of dust that would have been made. And she noticed that his feet had been neglected. I tell you what. Whatever the conversation was taking place at the table right before she began to weep, I tell you what, the conversation stopped and everybody has, has, has one eye on this woman and the other eye is on Jesus. How is he going to respond to this woman? 
It's not difficult for us to imagine that she's had a difficult life. Listen, there's nothing glamorous about being a prostitute. There's nothing, there's nothing glorious about that kind of lifestyle. In fact, with all sin, it leads to the same place. It leads to sorrow and it leads to pain. So here she is. Ashes have come now to express themselves in a a demonstration of gratitude upon the Lord Jesus. And you know, one of the genius aspects of this particular portion in the Gospel of Luke is is the contrast that we're going to see here in just a moment. In fact, Jesus, he, he, he highlights the contrast, that of this contrite, repentant woman and that of Simon the Pharisee who is self-righteous. So verse 39 says this, that when the Pharisee who had invited him, Jesus, saw this, he said, notice, to himself. This is the inner thoughts of this man's life. He said this to him. This is not saying it out loud. This is not giving his impression, but this is thinking his thoughts. And you know, I, I thought about that this morning as I was preparing. And I said to myself, what a gracious Savior we have that even in this instance, He's demonstrating to Simon his divine nature. Because who else can know the mind and the spirit of an individual except the spirit of God? And as Jesus began to unravel what he was thinking, and this is what he thought. He said, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she was, that she is a sinner. You see, the Pharisees had only two types of people there were in the world. There were Pharisees, and then everybody else outside of that were sinners. But she was a notorious sinner. She was an infamous sinner. So Simon makes this presumption. And the presumption is to bring judgment now upon both the woman and Jesus because he judges Jesus as being, number one, he's not much of a prophet. If he is a prophet, he's not really a, a very good one, or he's not very holy. He's not very pure because he doesn't know what kind of woman is touching him. And I love verse 40. It says, Jesus answered him. Wait a minute. Jesus, he didn't say anything. Oh, yes, he did. He said it in his his thoughts. And Jesus perceived his thoughts because Jesus knew it was in the hearts of men. And Jesus answered him. He said, Simon, I have something to tell you. And Simon says, tell me, teacher. Simon's not too bright. You know, when God says to you, I got something to ask you, I've got something to tell you, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He's ready to lower the boom. And the boom is ready to be lowered upon poor Simon. Verse 42, he says this, two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. The difference between the two is 10 times as much. One owes 10 times greater than the other. It's obvious as we see this story unravel that Simon is a 50-owing person, but the woman owes 500. Both are bankrupt and unable to pay. Neither of them, he says, verse 42, had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. I would have said, bingo, you know. Right answer, you know. Uh, The one who was forgiven the most debt 
You know, I was thinking about how, how, can, I, how can I explain this? My, my wife warned me the other day. She said, honey, in this series, you talked about a little boy who had his eyes stolen. And you talked about a woman who had a face eaten off by a chimpanzee. Please, no more, no more gory stuff. So I'm about to apologize to you and to my wife as well. So the only illustration that I could k- kind of come up to think of that would be a good understanding of, of both their situations is this. Imagine a man, he's sleeping in his bed. And a spider, a poisonous spider, bites him in his carotid artery. And instantly, he's dead, okay? Instant death, all right? Another guy is out camping uh, out in Hexer Park, right? And very unlikely to happen. But he is mauled by a bear and, 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 is, and is just ripped to pieces by a bear, okay? So here's my another groomy, gruesome story, right? Uh, which of the two is more dead? Which of the two is more dead? One guy is real ugly dead, and the other guy is just dead in his bed, but both are dead. Which, which, which is more bankrupt? The one that owes the 50 or the one that owes the five? They're both bankrupt, and both are unable to pay. And that's how God looks at every single one of us. We're unable. We have a debt we cannot pay. But graciously, as we discover, he pays the debt that he didn't owe. Verse 44 says, then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, which would have been just courtesy, which would have been just to honor and respect Jesus, to just have, 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 have his, the dust cleaned off of his feet. They wore sandals back in the day, you know, like Jamie was wearing this morning. Nice sandals, Jamie, by the way. Uh, He said, you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and and she wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven for she loves much. But he who has, he who loves, he has been forgiven little loves little. What Jesus is saying is that, is that Simon, your perception of, of just how bad you are is really so off that you don't have the gratitude for sins forgiven. You know, it's safe for us to say, it really is safe for us to assume that when she entered that courtyard, she entered that courtyard a saved sinner. Paul says, this is, a, this is a noteworthy saying, worthy of all expectation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom he says, I am the chiefest. It is safe for us to say that because, because while we don't know when she had this change take place in her life, we know that a change has taken place. We know how the change has taken place. The same way that change takes place for every single one of us because faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. Somewhere, somehow she heard the gracious invitation of Jesus. In fact, if you do a study of the chronological sequences of the gospel, when you compare Matthew and Mark to the events, what I think we find is that this came on the heels of the gracious invitation that Jesus gave to whosoever will. Come to me, he said, and I'll give you rest. Those of you that are heavy laden and burdened, those of you that are burnt out, come to me. I'll give you rest. You'll find rest for your souls. 
I believe this was right on the hills. But if it wasn't that, it, it may have been that she heard about how Jesus dealt with a, a woman that was caught in the act of adultery. How that what he said, he really believed and backed up what he said. He really practiced what he preached because he didn't come into the world to condemn sinners. He came into the world so that the world through him might be saved. By this time in the ministry of Jesus, he had a reputation for being the friend of sinners. She knew that. And, and listen, there, there's a reason why so many tax collectors, publicans, and republicans, uh, no, publicans, you know, came to him. They were attracted to him. Prostitutes were attracted to him because there was no condemnation in his heart and in his words and in his eyes. Add to that the silent workings of the Holy Spirit who brings conviction and brings convincing and brings a wooing to a human heart. You know, some of us, some of us come into the kingdom of God. It's almost imperceptible. It's like all of a sudden we just find ourselves there. Some of us like children have been brought up and you can't really identify the day or the hour when, when a change took place. But for others like her, I'm, I'm telling you, if you asked her, she could tell you the hour and the place, the, the, the very day when that great change took place in her life. She's overwhelmed emotionally with gratitude because he has forgiven her of her sins. And, and she's expressing that with, with, with actions that speak louder than words. She's, she's washing his feet because he has washed his soul. She's refreshing Jesus because he has renewed her heart. She's kissing his feet because he has kissed her with mercy. Just like the Samaritan who had been healed of his leprosy returned, came back. The one out of the ten came back to give thanks to the Lord. So she was coming to give thanks to the one who had forgiven her so much. Got a great quote from Charles Spurgeon on this text. He says, he says, the text begins with the word behold. And it may be so, for a forgiven sinner is a wonder to heaven, earth, and hell. A forgiven sinner. Though God has made this world exceedingly beautiful, yet no work of creation reflects so much of his glory as the manifestation of his grace in a forgiven sinner. More beautiful than any sunrise or sunset, more beautiful than majestic mountains, is one who's been changed and forgiven and has received mercy, whose life has been transformed from beauty, from the, from the ashes to beauty, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Now think about how this must have refreshed Jesus. This must have been such a delight to him to have this Humble, contrite woman come, courageous. Listen, probably the last place in the world that she wanted to be was in the house of a Pharisee, knowing that she would be publicly scorned and rejected because of her reputation. And yet, look at how love overcomes the fear of man. How love becomes, becomes so creative and love becomes so passionate to express the gratitude for the one who covered her sins. You know, here's a portion in the word where, where we see more about Jesus in, in, in the simplicity of him spotlighting the wonder of grace. Because Jesus is the one who gives us the interpretation of her actions. She hasn't said anything, but Jesus gives us the interpretation that she has loved much. Now, I think about 
going back to the beginning, go back to the garden of, of paradise and see how quickly the creator was to cover the sinfulness and the guilt of our parents with innocent substitutions, with, with innocent skins or animals that covered their nakedness. God is quick to cover a multitude of our sins. No wonder the psalmist wrote, Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to love you. That's it right there. God loves us so that in turn, we might know that love and we could then say that we love God because he first loved us. Her gratitude compelled her into action. And she would not come before him empty-handed. She would not offer to the Lord that which did not cost her. And it was costly. It was, it was expensive. It was, it was an alabaster perfume. But it was, it was more than the cost of it. She would say the honor was all mine. But it was, it was a link to her past. Because that perfume in the business that she was in would have made her, would have given her that edge of desirability that she's now breaking and pouring out completely on the Lord. She's courageous, and yet there's a balance there of humility. She's, she's bold, but she's not brash or forward. Uh, she's not uttering one single word that would be brash on her part, but she weeps, and that is honor enough for her. She recognizes that Jesus has been neglected and that an honor is due him. And she began to bestow that honor on him. You know, at some point in our walk with God, at some, I don't know for you when that might be or it, it already was, but, but, but I, I know that at some point in our walk with God, we, we, we go from, you know, God, I don't want to sin against you, not because we're afraid of being punished, you know, uh, I mean, we'll ever be grateful that hell is not in our destiny, you know, but that's not the motivating factor any longer. Now it's, God, I don't want to grieve the one who loves me more than I love myself. And there's a new motivation in our hearts, not the fear, not the fear of punishment, but rather the fear of breaking the heart of the one who loves us so much. And I love how Jesus himself gives us the interpretation to this. He says clearly her actions demonstrate that she loves much. She's doing this because she loves me. Let me ask you a question. Do you love him like this? Do you love Jesus like this? What an example of grace she is to us. And what an example to us to let us know what is the most important thing. You know, you could have all of your doctrinal dot, dots and T's crossed and dotted and all that stuff. You could have all these things going for you in your life. But really, the most important thing is the most important thing is to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus says she's, she's right there at the top. See how creative she is. She doesn't ask a disciple to bring this gift over to Jesus. No, lo love won't have substitution. It has to be expressed itself. Notice Jesus. He, he quietly gives his approval to what she's doing because he doesn't stop her. He doesn't say, what are you doing? He doesn't move his feet away. It's like he graciously and, and joyfully accepts her service 
because it did delight his soul, because here is a repentant sinner, the very reason why he came. Let me tell you, a nation with applaud and praise for Jesus wouldn't have meant as much to him in this moment as that one woman who poured out her tears upon him. Jesus not only defends her actions, but he praises her. Look at verse 48. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? You know, in another portion of Scripture in the Gospels, they said something similar when Jesus said to a young man, take up your bed and walk. He said, son, your sins be forgiven you. But what's, what's easier for me to say, take up your bed and walk or your sins be forgiven, but that you might know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. This is what he came to do. He came to seek and to save the lost. And then verse 50 says, Jesus said to her, woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the the grace that Jesus is spotlighting that can change the character, the destiny, and the very nature of a human being. Take the ashes of our life and make them into something absolutely beautiful. But you know, to go back to the garden again, you know, to go back to the garden of of paradise and and ask the question why, God, if you know the end from the beginning and you do, and and, and you know, you know, remember that little dot I, I, I showed you on that piece of paper? Even though that little dot is just a tiny speck in the ocean of eternity, yet there's so much suffering in, in, in this human existence. Human beings have grieved the heart of God so much. I mean, we, we, we have caused each other pain. We've, we've caused God pain. And so you ask the question, why? Why did you endure all of this? Well, knowing this from the very beginning, why did you set man on this, on this very uh, vulnerable foundation where we could fall? And and you know what my answer would would be is simply this, is that when you're talking about a story like this, where Jesus interprets it as being love poured out, love expressed, see, I don't think that love is something that you can talk about as much as you can experience. Love isn't something that you can philosophize about. It's something that has to be felt. Maybe this closing story will help you kind of put together the, the reason why I think God did what he did. Max Licato tells the story of a Brazilian girl. Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you what this was all about. Yeah, see, I, I, now I just remembered. Uh, the, the, these are like the reeds that grew up. Uh, they didn't grow up, but they grew uh, all over Palestine, uh, and uh, there, there are millions of them. And, and children, what they would do is since they were hollowed uh, and when they dried out, they got real firm like this and uh, they would, they would uh, just make little uh, kind of musical instruments out of them, uh, like a little flute or a little whistle, you know? And uh, they'd play with them. But since they were so delicate, uh, they would easily break and once they broke, you just threw them away and you got another one. And you made another one. And if that broke, you threw that one away and 
You made another one. Now, I'm not going to do any more, but it says of Jesus that a bruised reed he'll not break, a smoking flax, a smoking wick he'll not throw out. That so illustrates this story. A Brazilian young girl by the name of Christina, she longed to experience life outside of the poverty-stricken village that she grew up in. I mean, she had none of the amenities that we know about, none of the conveniences. Her bed was a, was a, uh, uh, a pallet. That was her bed, a pallet. And uh, she, she fantasized what life would be like in the city. And so one day, she, it, it just, the, the fantasies got the better of her and, and just being discontent with, with her situation. So she ran away. Her mother, Maria, was distraught. And she set out to find her. On her way to the bus stop, Maria stopped into a drugstore. And there, in one of those photo booths, began to take photos of herself as much as she could, as much money as she had. And she bought a ticket to Rio de Janeiro. She got on the bus, the long bus ride into the city. Maria knew that Christina had no way of, of, of earning a living, no way of making any money. She knew that her daughter was also stubborn and that she wouldn't quit and give up and come home. That when pride meets hunger, that a human being will do things that are unimaginable. Knowing this, Maria began to search, putting her picture in bars, hotels, nightclubs, places where the reputation was that there were streetwalkers and prostitutes. She would place the pictures in a bathroom mirror, tape them to the back of a, of a phone book, or a phone booth, rather. Uh, she fastened them to the corner of, of a bulletin board. And th this is what she would do. And as long as, as long as she had money and as long as she had pictures, that, that, that's what she did. But then the money ran out and the pictures ran out. So Maria, brokenhearted, went back home. She wept us that long bus ride back home. A few weeks later, young Christina descended from hotel stairs. Her young face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth, but spoke about the pain and the fear and the sorrow. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. For a thousand times, she wished that she could go back to that pallet in that little humble home. Yet that village was too far away in so many ways for her. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes caught a familiar face. She looked again and she saw in the lobby mirror was posted her mother's picture. Christina's eyes began to burn and her throat began to tighten up. She walked across the room and she moved to that small photo and written on the back of that photo was this compelling invitation. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. A bruised reed he will not discard. He takes the broken. His message and the message of the gospel, God's message of grace to you this morning is this. Whatever you've done, Whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Please come home.
one extended invitation. I don't know, maybe you're here this morning and maybe that applies especially to you. Maybe you've been away from the Lord. I just want to invite you to come home, to come to him, come to the one who loves, who loves you more than you love yourself so that you can in turn discover forgiveness. All you have to do is just, just in your heart right now, come. Tears are optional, but come with sincerity. I'm going to invite the, the band to come on back. And instead of asking you to stand with us and worship this morning, I'm just going to ask you to do something a little different. I'm going to ask you to just stay seated. As they come up, I'm going to ask if, if uh, Jamie would just minister to us in song this morning and let the words of the song that she's going to present to us, let that touch your heart. And this is my prayer for you this morning, that in the name of Jesus, the healing power of his love would come and touch each and every one of us. For in this life, every single one of us has had crash and burn experiences. Every single one of us have had piles of ashes of the past. But the past is not as important as the present. At this very moment, this determines the rest of your future. My prayer is that God will begin to heal you through the words of this song. In Jesus' name, amen.